James. Raph. Apple. I have a, a amusing Apple anecdote, actually. Shoot. Well, now you've just said it was amusing. We'll be the judge of that. It better be good now. Okay, See, yeah. If true. you just said, I've got an anecdote. Yeah, I used to work at the Apple store. I used to work at the Apple store while that was my uni job. You're a genius. I was, yeah. Actually, you know what? I, I wasn't. I worked at the Genius Bar, but I, did, I never ascended to that level. Kind of like the squire to the geniuses. Right, right. You know? Anyway, so I worked there for a number of years while I was at uni. You know what? Good uni job. As far as retail jobs go, it was actually pretty good. One of my jobs there was I ran like those workshops. Like you get old people coming in wanting to learn how to use iMovie or iPhoto or whatever. Yeah. Um, da Vinci. What? Wait, what was the photo editing one called? Aperture. Aperture. Where did Da Vinci come from? I don't know. Maybe it's the GPT model. Yeah, 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 I think it is actually. Anyway, so I was doing that. One of the things that Apple used to do, I don't know if they still do it, but they had a little event called Apple Camp. And basically what it was, it was like that, but for kids. Yep. It happened during the school holidays. Kids would come in over the course of three days and it was like 90-minute sessions every day mm. to learn how to use iMovie. They would come in on the first day and storyboard a movie. Yeah. They'd go home and they'd film it. Mm-hmm. They'd come in the next day. They'd make it an iMovie on the Apple Store computers. Nice. And then they'd come in on the third day and it was a film festival. Huge. And all, the, all, these, all the local kids would, would show all this sort of shit, right? And, you know, it was lovely. The, the most shocking thing for the parents was that because none of us had working with children checks, they couldn't actually leave their children for that 90 minutes, oh. which horrified a lot of them because they were there to, to shop and they thought they could just dump their kids mm. <laughs> at the Apple Store for 90 minutes. Anyway, I ran it one of these years and I was working with a bunch of these kids on the storyboarding section, mm-hmm. helping them draw their little movies that they were going to make. I wasn't really paying super close attention to what they were doing, mm. helping them do it. They went home, they shot it, they came back. Second day, I was helping them make it. Again, I was being pulled between probably 15 kids, yeah. 15, 20 kids. On Probably these, being a parent. On these, I'll tell you what. Certainly felt like it that day when I was like 21 or something. Anyway, so I, I didn't really see what they were doing until the kids came in on that second day to make their movie. Mm. And then I realized that one of the kids whose storyboard I didn't take pay particularly close attention to had created a recreation of 9-11. <laughs> okay, this is an amusing story. <laughs> With uh, with Lego. That's not funny. So it was technically very impressive. So it started with like sweeping views of Manhattan recreated in Lego. Okay, nice. Panning shots, people in cafes having lunch, enjoying themselves, walking Fifth Avenue, and then hard cut to a Qantas plane on a string. Bobbing into the frame. <laughs> and it slams into this immaculately recreated Twin Towers. <laughs> and then he shows it collapsing. It wasn't like he didn't fully go into like stop motion, but it kind of topples and collapses and whatever. Hard cut, a stormtrooper wedding. <laughs> Did he explain the context of that? No, I think that was just like, I don't know, it was just a little bit. It was a mistake. A little little bit of a director trademark or something. (laughs) But the funny thing is that I had to kick that up the chain because the third day of this Apple camp was a film festival, which I was hosting. All the parents at the back of the Apple store and whoever else decided to watch. And I was supposed to interview this kid on a director chair (laughs) and be like, what was the idea? So this kid who had made like this visceral (laughs) 9-11 recreation, I had to speak to Apple Marketing in Australia, mm. and that got kicked up to Apple Marketing in California. 
it got elevated right up the chain to the top of the command as to whether this kid in Bondi was able to show a 9-11 recreation at the Apple Store Bondi Junction. Well, what was the answer? Yes. <laughs> that was an amazing story. <laughs> Tim Apple... He wants his iPod. Yeah, Tim Cook wants his legacy solidified. We've mentioned a couple of times before on the pod, but Apple's next big thing, pretty much guaranteed at this point, there's been so much reporting on it, mm. is their alternative reality or AR headset, which has been called like Project Reality. It's kind of a statement piece. I think the idea is that they don't want, at least a lot of the reporting says, they don't expect that everyone's going to buy this. Yeah, It's meant to be for an early adopter thing. Yeah, kind of like the Apple Watch when it first came out, wasn't intended to be mass market. They didn't produce that many of them. Yeah, it was meant to be like a fashion piece. Yeah. It was like, that. that's why they, when the Apple Watch first came out, they released like that $38,000 gold one. The idea is that this is going to be them showing off, this is what we think the successor to the iPhone mm. is, is this like headset that projects stuff over your, over your vision. Mm. But crucially, it's also the first product at Apple, which Tim Cook has like a really, really strong role in creating because all the other stuff including the apple watch which came out years after steve jobs died you know peace be upon him it was he, still part of the road it was still it was he, it was part of the roadmap and he had like contributed pretty significantly to its in the original conception or whatever so it's it's an interesting time to talk about apple because it's it is at a transition point it's not controversial to say that they were the dominant company of the 2010s yeah well, it is worth saying as well though on, on this headset before we go any further that not only is this going to be cook's kind of to resistance or whatever, his big product, he's apparently overruled the designers. The designers don't want to release it. Yeah, they say it's not ready. It needs a few more years in the kitchen. Yeah, to cook. You know, we need to just let it simmer. But no, Tim's saying we're going ahead with it. Overruled. Overruled from the big guy. Yep. We've got to release it. Yep. Because you're dead right. They've been dominant for 20 years. Yeah, exactly. And like it's their basically their world they've created. Mm. You can get into the sort of thing where it's like, oh, you know, Apple put widgets on the iPhone, but Android had it first. That's true. But Android is like completely operating in the paradigm that Apple invented. Well, Apple wasn't first to like any one feature, really. No. They just actually made it usable. They made they just made it, yeah, dominant. I think it's pretty clear the iPhone won the smartphone wars. I think that's pretty evident. Yeah, and it's more evident every month. Like Android still to this day, it has a larger install base, I believe, including everything from like the cheapest smartphones all the way to the most mm. expensive. But Apple's making inroads. As we see, they keep releasing kind of these cheaper iPhones that are lower and lower down, and they're making massive inroads even into that the lower end of the market. Yeah. The Financial Times did a story the other day which basically described how massively dominant the iPhone is amongst Gen Z. Yeah, it's like in America, it's something like 61%, yeah. which is enormous. Which is absurd. And Given it, that like when we talk about Android, we're talking about like multiple manufacturers, obviously. Yeah, exactly. And Samsung obviously being the biggest one, but there are a million different uh, Android brands. I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that Zoomers think that people who send green message bubbles are basically lepers in their social hierarchy, mm. which is true. It's true. Back in the day, Apple, you know, those internal emails were released and they were arguing over, like, should we make iMessage cross-platform, basically? Yeah. Do we want it to be the dominant messaging platform across all platforms or do we want to keep it basically locked down to iPhone only as kind of like a feature? And it turns out, if you'd asked me a couple of years ago, I would have said that 
they should have made it universal and made it the universal messaging system that makes sense to be installed on as many people's phones as possible, especially when they were going down the route of, you know, like they have it now. I never I rarely use them. You can kind of have apps for Messenger and you can oh, some yeah. of them like connect for games or whatever, but there's also various third parties can make their own apps for it. Like Uber has like some kind of plug-in to Messenger and blah, blah, blah. And that kind of WeChat, everything app, like when that was more the zeitgeist it's like well yeah they definitely should be on everyone's phone because in the future we'll be able to order apps through iMessage blah 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 so of course they want to be on the Google and stuff it now turns out that (laughs) and this is I guess what Apple do that other companies don't and the kind of things they think about that other people don't which is that luxury brand mentality of the desire to be part of the kind of social cohesion and blah 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 and effectively the desire to be cool outweighs any benefit you get to the volume play in that, yeah, especially among Zoomers, apparently having green text in Messenger is just so... Like Mark. It's just embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one of the key things with the... Apart from the fact that, yes, the iPhone was completely revolutionary and whatever and inaugurated our current age and, like, they they had already built the infrastructure with the iPod, which was also a revolutionary device and digital distribution of music, blah, 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 blah. blah. I think what was kind of revealed was that the Apple way of doing things, which is occasionally incredibly frustrating, like things being locked down, mm. taking ages for new features, like new things that people expect to arrive because they just are resistant to doing it, mm. annoying shit with cables, you know, yeah. all the kind of, you know, everything that is annoying about Apple, their walled garden, quote unquote. Yeah, and only allowing use of Apple payments as the payment platform for all apps on the App Store, etc. It turned out that all that stuff was like perfectly aligned for like the moment. And obviously, you know, there's a bit of a chicken and the egg thing where it's, where it's like, would this have been the way that computing developed without the iPhone? Maybe not. But there's a reason why it turns out that Zoomers are worse at using computers than millennials is because they've been raised with a completely functional and beautifully operational closed system. Yeah. The way that they arraign things has been relatively perfect for the way technology was going, especially now that we're getting to a point where it's like, you know, with all the developments in AI and, and shit like that, are we even going to have the web or is it all going to be like weird AI enabled apps? Basically. Yeah. Yeah. But they are placing this big, well, it's not a big bet because it's Apple and they'll do it in a smart way, which is they'll release probably an overpriced headset in very small quantities that they don't expect to be particularly large and they'll see how it goes and they'll iterate on it and make it better. I mean, it's worth talking about Johnny Ives here. Yeah. iPod, iPhone, AirPods, original Apple watch, MacBook air, MacBook pro, Massively influential, obviously, design, product designer. Some may say that in his later days, and by some I mean I would, and I think it's generally accepted, he probably went too far. Like He was, I guess, the encapsulation of that idea that Apple is like, the customer doesn't know what they want. We know, we're going to tell them what they want. And that's never, never actually been true. I, you know that they do heaps and heaps of customer research and then they interpret kind of what the customer are telling them, yep. them rather than just, I guess, the Amazon model, which is just whatever the data shows, just reflect that on the customers. And we've talked about it before that like Amazon is this horrible mess of like, yes, that is what the public want, whereas Apple are able to kind of interpret those signals and then have their own... Pose their own like... Yeah, exactly. But you end up with beautiful products that are highly functional and make a lot of sense. But he probably went, took it too far yeah, in the no, end. Because he was like a lieutenant of Steve Jobs or whatever, like really close with him. He was always the guy that was making designs that were not very practical 
like fundamentally they were mm. more about looking beautiful and seeming like something lovely to hold in your hands. Yeah, like the Apple mouse or whatever. Yeah, well, right. the, the one with the fucked under, underside charging or whatever. There was apparently, small aside, like the complaint about the Apple mouse. I mean, I think in general the Apple mouse is too low. It's like yeah. it's not no, really totally. very ergonomic. It feels terrible. Yeah. It, but you have to use it because it's the only one that's got side swiping. But anyway, the complaint that you have to plug the charger into the bottom of the Apple mouse, apparently the justification for that, because obviously you can't use the mouse while it's charging, they were like, if we put the charger on the front, people will just have it plugged in the entire time. Yeah. And we don't want that. No, but we, we don't want people to be using it with a cable yeah. in the whole time. We want it to be separate. So, wireless, yeah, so yeah. that way they have to turn it over and not use it uh, in order to charge it. Yeah, which just kind of yeah sums up his sort of approach to things. So it's like, no, you must respect the device. And he went too early with he removed all the ports from the MacBook Pro. And, and had to put them back. They put it back after. He yeah. no longer had as much power they put the hdmi cable and yeah. a bunch more usb ports back on there was a recent feature about the fact that the old apple power structure was like design would give like an absolutely insane design to engineering and it was their task to like figure out how they can make it work mm. and that was very successful for a long time but at the end of his sort of reign that ended up not working so you got macbooks that had like awful keyboards that looked amazing yeah but felt like shit and broke all the time as you say, like the port's not functioning. The air power debacle where they tried to um, make that charging mat that looked yeah. beautiful and let you charge everything at once. And turned out that very concept like defied the laws of physics and couldn't be made. Yeah, the Apple Watch and the iPhone use different charging coil technologies, but you were supposed to be able to put either of them anywhere on the charging mat and they would both charge and it turns out it would just set itself on fire. It would, expl- <laughs> it would explode and kill you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is not very Apple for something like that to happen. Johnny, I've left Apple a few years ago and started his own design agency, which also like contracted with Apple. Yeah, but for a hundred million a year, I believe. Is it called Love? Love from Love from. That's right. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> like capitalize L and F and all one word. But their contract is finally ended. Yeah, it's over, and uh, it seems like they contracted a little bit on the headset. And the, the information reported that there was a huge debate. One of the current features of the headset apparently is that there's like a big thick cable that connects to like a a battery pack. Or at least that was at one stage it was. Mm. And that was something that gave like Johnny Ive a mental event, a mental (laughs) breakdown to imagine that there was like a connected battery pack Mm. to an Apple product instead of like this sleek aluminium, whatever. But it is, it is interesting that like this is then the thing that Cook is trying to establish the legacy of. One, because like this is not exactly the metaverse. You know, the metaverse is a different thing. But the idea that there's like a headset where you see shit overlaid yeah. is very metaverse-y. It's very, very much, 2021. It's very much part of that world. And it's kind of interesting that's all coming out at the same time that like the conversation is switching over to AI. The metaverse is so not working. The Facebook one is terrible. Everyone's mm. having a bad time. No one wants the product. Nobody wants the product. And it looks like Apple's about to bet the farm on it. Although, you know. I think you're right in that the fact they're launching something that's a little bit boutique and not for mass audience and very expensive is that if it doesn't work, they can be like, well, we'll just go back to making the iPhone 17 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So it could be fine. No, you're right. It's going to feel kind of weird when everyone's talking about AI, like Facebook, Meta, Meta is talking about AI yeah, and everything AI, AI for Apple to kind of be like, and virtual reality again. Yeah, and, yep, and, and the AR. With the AR component, but... My understanding is that this, this is going to be very limited, if any, AR at all. Like, it's it's going to be a virtual reality device because the AR just isn't ready. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's true, but that was kind of the rumours that I heard. Yeah, that's right. Because you're right, actually. Because the, the most, again, the information reported in 
pretty good detail on what was going on there. And one of the things is that when you go into like the AR mode, it's all in black and white. Mm. Like you can see through it, but it's black and white and then things are projected on top. Just for clarity for those that are like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Yeah. It's literally a headset that you can put on and like work in, work mm. and play and whatever, but things are projected onto screens in front of your eyes instead of a phone in your hand. And it's there's no idea, clear vision yet as to why, at least not one that's public, as to like why this would be good or why it's better than the phone. But it's clear that Apple's like, well, we need, this is the next frontier and we need to own the platform the same way that we have so conclusively with the phone yeah but interestingly at least from the meta perspective and and whenever you hear about the metaverse and virtual reality you kind of hear it's good for two things the original one obviously being gaming in online communities or whatever you're in a a virtual space and you're just kind of mucking about you're gas bagging and viewing virtual art together and maybe playing a game of poker or something then the other one which i feel like kind of was tacked on a bit later, but people were saying, no, actually, this is useful, especially in the era of COVID and remote work, of having virtual meetings and productivity. There's the classic, obviously, A, getting in a room with everyone together and sitting around a virtual table, I guess, and having your meeting. You have presence as opposed to being on Zoom, which has all of the awkward natures of video conferencing. Apple is not good at either of those worlds. Social media no. slash gaming. They're terrible at both. Business. They have these kind of business tools, but as you mentioned on the other episode, like even numbers, when you open numbers, their spreadsheet software, it's like household budget. It's obviously not made for enterprise, even though there is Apple for work or whatever, but they, they really have just not, they haven't really leaned in at all. No, totally. They were really early out the gate with a really truly great native video standard, FaceTime. Mm. You know, FaceTime came out with the iPhone 4 in like 2010 or something. From the get-go, it was like better than Skype. Yeah. Like, as long as you're obviously messaging, like calling someone else on an iPhone, better than Skype. They never even attempted to turn it into like a business feature and they keep loading features onto it. I don't know who is even using FaceTime. Zoom would surely be the standard right now, Mm. which also speaks to the general fact that Apple have tried to undergo over the past five years, maybe a little bit more, a real pivot into being like a services company. This has been one of Tim Cook's initiatives. Yes, we dominate hardware. We dominate App Store. So like our App Store is the most profitable by far, even if it's like full of junk awful video game clones and, and shit. That yeah. Looks like it. they still make the lion's share of mobile profits. Well, but that's where they also, they tack all of that revenue into services revenue. This is the thing that, yeah, as you say, they're pivoting to being a services company, which when they say services in the presentations, it'll be like Apple Music, iCloud, Apple TV, Apple Fitness Plus. When you think services, think those. But actually, the services revenue is all basically coming from they're 30% margin on the App Store because that's seen as a service. The advertising on the App Store, like advertising revenue that is generated from the App Store, which again is massive, and Google paying them $15 billion a year to be the default search engine. Yeah. That's all bundled into quote-unquote services revenue. And yeah. so when you think like Apple services, it's, yeah, like friggin' slot machine-esque clones and Google. Yeah, yeah, No, no, you're right. But it has been interesting because, you know, they, they were the the leading light of music digital distribution. iTunes used to be like the big dog in that for a while. Mm. They relatively successfully made the switch to Apple Music. I don't think it king like as someone who uses it. But they were also solving a problem there, right? They had the upper hand against record labels yep. at that time because of piracy. Like yep. they were solving piracy yep. as the issue. But all of a sudden when the problem to be solved in services is actually being solved by other people kind of they got less of their power, leverage their, power, their, their leverage was massively reduced and it was yeah it was solving a problem but um apple have always been not that great at services as we talked about their office suite 
which is the iWorks. I don't even think they call it iWorks. Well, if you look up Apple for work or whatever, you get to, we give discounts to businesses who want to bulk purchase MacBooks. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. iCloud is better than it used to be, but like a complete mess, basically. Mm. If you go to the iCloud for web and mm. look at all the services they have, like you can get to pages on the web. And I'm like, do even like 10 people use that? Yeah, In yeah. the whole world, yeah. use the pages for web. Their old service before iCloud was mobile me which was their original cloud syncing service. Well, I mean, even the Apple your email has changed so many times. Remember at me? At me.com, yeah, yeah. Still, I still have an at me.com that's like where I route all my spam, basically. Yeah. They released Apple TV. They've launched Apple TV and put an insane amount of effort into building up their original programming. Mm. Keep in mind, that Apple TV is the only streaming service that only has Apple TV originals. You don't just subscribe to Netflix or Amazon Prime and get... Seinfeld you know, or whatever. All, exactly, all this shit. It's literally just... Apple original. And you can tell if you if you watch them, Apple TV originals have some of the biggest budgets and the slickest production. Mm. They're head and shoulders above Netflix in that regard, but they're kind of betting the farm on Ted Lasso. If you really fucking no, love Ted Lasso. Yeah, well, yeah. I've never watched it and never intend on doing it. I just, the whole concept of it just <laughs> makes my spine crawl. Yeah. But, you know, it's just it's just a feature. No, it's, it it's is just, just a feature. It's, it's, it's just an, another amazing feature and a reason why that yeah, I'm no, totally. it really it... happy with the Apple ecosystem and will continue to increasingly give them incremental recurring revenue every month or whatever. Yeah, no, totally. No, I agree. It's still just kind of like, you know, with Tim Cook making the, apparently a fairly substantial internal pivot as well to like we are not just someone who dominates in hardware, but we are the services company. Mm. For them to be like, all right, we've got Apple TV, Apple News, Apple News Plus. Mm. Also, a final anecdote: When I was a Business Insider, we had we were on Apple News. Mm. We got a bucket load of traffic on it. I remember I, when I first started working there, I, I audited our Apple News numbers based on no one putting really any effort into maintaining them. And I was like, these numbers are absolutely insane. The amount of people who are reading Business Insider Australia content. Yeah. And I was like, this is incredible. And then I ordered like the demographic figures. And like it was literally an absurd percentage of those people were over 60 years old, mm. for one. And B, it was so poorly managed on Apple's part that it may as well have been nobody because it, it was so hard to monetize those people. Yeah. They had their own ad product, which was kind of like, which has gotten better since. But it's like, we have, through you, hundreds of thousands of people more millions being served content and your like way of actually turning that into revenue is just nothing it may as well have just been made up yeah essentially another example not enough focus how they just they just throw stuff out there they're heading into 2023 into the future with like a suite of new services they're making laptops that have ports again and like rejigging their way the thing is the hardware other than god knows what this vr thing's gonna be the hardware is very good yeah. And getting better. They're great at the hardware. Like the M1s, M2s, the processors, the chips are incredible. Yeah. The laptops are fantastic again. I like the line. I like the studio. See what happens with the Mac Pro. Like the- we, we should have mentioned that like the transition from like the Intel chips to the like Apple built chips. Oh, I mean, was like huge. Just an incredible win. And people thought that, that would be like a disaster. And it turned out the performance on those chips, the output is just insane for what they it was like a quantum leap forward for computing, basically. Yeah, because as opposed to integrating the Intel chips, they were able to design from scratch a fully integrated chip. It's just create and add things like neural chips and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, the hardware is fantastic. The phones are fantastic. We know that. A lot of the products are fantastic. But more broadly, the push into services, I would say, 
I mean, they make a lot of money. They make a lot of money off the App Store, but then they have to create things like Apple Arcade to fix the issue that the App Store is completely fucked. If they want to keep getting revenue from these games, every game is based on gems or some exorbitant subscription or whatever it is that is designed to milk you from as much money as possible and put every dynamic they can into the games in order to just extract money. So in order to avoid that uh, mechanism, they have to invent something like Apple Arcade. Netflix of games, which is just all... Like a services product or whatever, but it's like you're fixing a problem that you created... The Google thing is weird way to make lots of money a year. At business, yes, we said they don't have it. And thirdly, the home. Home automation. There are basically three players in that, Amazon, Google, and Apple. I'm someone who's about to kit out my house with literally switches in the wall, and I would like to use Apple HomeKit, but it's so bad. Siri is so bad, which leads us to like AI. Like, What are they doing about AI? They obviously have a team there. Their hardware is fantastic at running it, as we talked about in the AI episode, running AI locally is the iPhones already are like more than capable of doing a decent job with some of the shitter models. But like in the future, obviously, they'll be able to run GPT-4s, 5s, etc. And an obvious use case for AI and large language models is Siri. Uh, Siri. Or voice assistant. It makes Siri seem even dumber. The fact that you can have these interactions with chat GPT and back and forth about topics and refer to previous conversations that all of a sudden when you ask Siri, like, is it going to rain today? And she says no. And then you, then it's like, well, it's raining right now. I can't say to her or him or them, but it's raining now. You can't say that to Siri, right? It's like, got no idea what you're talking about. It's got about. absolutely no idea what you're talking about. What are they doing there? Yeah, no, it, especially now that they've kind of, seems like they're throwing the kitchen sink at like virtual reality. The current conversation is like dominated by AI. They very clearly have a very large and proficient AI team. They're one of the wealthiest companies in the world. It's like been an internal focus for a while. They've got like a machine learning team that writes papers and everything like that, which are publicly available. They're obviously working on it, but it's like, yeah, where, what is what are they doing? They would be the, I think they're the only big tech company over the past few months as everyone's got chat GPT fever or whatever, who has said like nothing about it. Mm. And, you know, this is the classic Apple playbook where they wait for all the initial entrants to kind of burn themselves out and fuck mm. up and make things that are not that great for the consumer. And then they come in with a big showy finish and say, hey, look, you can do X. And it's yeah. really smooth and easy. Although I guess their problem is that in this instance, 100 million people are using ChatGPT yeah. at least, and they haven't said a single thing about it. It's an interesting sort of like power dynamic going into the next 10 years or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The one thing they did do quite swiftly was optimize their neural engine so that LLMs work more efficiently um, on it, which was impressive. They moved really quick with doing that on the iPhones. But given their history of services, which I'd say like, yes, as a shareholder, they're earning like year on year, fantastic growth in services revenue. But when you dig into the numbers, as I said, it's some of it is from somewhat sketchy play, not sketchy, but not what one would think immediately when you think about services. So can I rely, if I'm going to invest my home into basically an Apple services products and the Apple services universe of products, can I rely on that? Well, it's Apple, they'll enter. I'm sure it'll be great. Or should I, what's the Microsoft, does Microsoft have a chat thing? Yeah, Cortana. Cortana. Which is the, the, the thing from Halo or whatever. <laughs> should I Should I go, go, should go, I go with Cortana? We're a Cortana household. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> get, a, get a Windows laptop running. Yeah. <laughs> and a Nokia. Yeah. So I guess like, you know, the, the big thing is like, it seems like the Apple headset will be announced this year, most likely, in the next few months even. It's the first kind of like Tim Cook product. Tim Cook is famously known as a guy who's not like the Steve Jobs inspirational. He's a supply chain guy. He's a guy who 
created the most militarily efficient supply chain probably in modern history. Yeah. His whole job is like browbeating Chinese suppliers. Well, which is another thing for them. I should mention, I heard that, you know, obviously the China thing is an issue with America and yeah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. They have been getting India. They've outsourced a bunch of production yeah. to India. And just as an example of how hard it is to just move your supply chains, they have a certain casing for the iPhone that they expect the error rate to be something like 0.0001% with the goal being 0% error rate. So, you know, you get one slightly faulty or misaligned casing for every 100,000, you know, cases that are produced in China at the moment out of this China factory. In India, the error rate on the batch that has just been completed was 50%. Yeah. There's a lot of hubbub about India being the new manufacturing hub. And it probably, it will get to that point. Yeah, I'm sure it will get to it. I have no doubt, but it's just like... Building up that wealth of knowledge and experience. The absurd like supply chain expertise that China has developed over the past 40 years cannot be like willed into... It it will take decades to build. Mm. But that's Tim Cook's kind of like area of expertise. He is not like a dreamy product thinker. He's mm-hmm. not a guy who sits down and goes, how can I use technology to have the children of today be inspired to create? <laughs> like that's... like that's, yeah. Johnny Ives probably would have seen that 9-11 thing and applauded. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, exactly. Tim Cook's more thinking like, how can I get on the phone to Mr. Shen to get yield up by 0.2% yeah. by tomorrow? We're going to see if he's able to like his first proper quote-unquote revolutionary product, Mm. if that's actually going to work. And uh, if it doesn't, I'm saying it, Apple, bearish. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not willing to go that far. (laughs) Downround now has a premium version. We have subscriber-only version where we go a little deeper on certain topics. We probably are a little bit more honest, I would say. A little bit more, you know, off the cuff, shooting from the hip. Yeah, and if you really want to get deep on uh, a lot of the topics we discussed, then you should sign up to be a premium subscriber. Seven bucks a month. It's on Substack. You get an extra episode a week. That's pretty cheap. Like, we're talking less than two bucks an episode. Exactly. What kind of value is that? In this world, today, nowhere. What can you buy for $1.70? That's you, listener. Answer me. If you email me and tell me something that's actually, like, really good and great value that's not another subscription that's worth $1.70 and provides terrific amount of value, we will give you one month free. Absolutely. Send us an email at downroundpod at gmail.com or if you don't want to waste your time doing that, thank you, head to downround.net or downround.substack.com or Google Downround. There are a million ways to find us and sign up. $7 a month, $7 a year. We'll see you in there.